Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Dev Technologies DevCast. I'm your host, Adam D'Angelo, and this week we will be rebroadcasting an episode we recorded last year for Women's History Month featuring Michelle Shorman and Becky Crane. They are both involved in leading our Women in Technology group here at Dev Technology. Welcome to DevCast. I'm your host today, Karen Talley-Mead, and we are going to be talking about women in technology with Michelle Sherman, our vice president leading our biometric solutions, and Becky Crane, one of our program managers, to talk about the history and future of women in IT, some of their personal experiences, and how we can help encourage women in IT. Becky and Michelle, can you introduce yourselves and talk about how you each got started in IT? Hi, uh, I'm Becky Crane. Um, as Karen said, I'm a program manager here at Dev. I've been here about four years. I've worked in IT in a variety of different roles for about 20 years. I started off as a technical writer, and then I was a developer for a while and uh, moved into project management. Uh, gosh, my intro might sound very similar. <laughs> uh, this is Michelle Shorman, um, and I've also been with Dev just about six and a half years, but have spent my entire career in IT, which is a little bit longer than 20 years. Uh, started off doing some proposal writing and just moved into delivery. Uh, did a variety of different things, landing in the project management lane. Um, and that's where I've been for most of my career. So have responsibility for putting together uh, solutions for our customers centering around biometrics. Okay. So our discussion today is inspired by an article in the New York Times titled, The Secret History of Women in Coding. According to this article, computer programming was largely considered women's work when the first programmable digital computer was being developed in the 1940s. At the time, programming seemed menial, even secretarial. The number of coding jobs began exploding in the 50s and 60s, and at the time, men had no special advantage in being hired. Employers were looking for candidates that were logical, good at math, and meticulous. And in this respect, gender stereos actually worked in women's favor. Programming was thought to be like knitting, even. By 1967, there were so many female programmers that Cosmo even published an article about the computer girls, describing programming as the rare white-collar occupation in which women could thrive. However, in, 19, or in 1984, 30% of all students graduating with degrees in computer and information sciences were women, but then from 1984 onward, it began to decline, and by uh, 2010, only about 17% of student graduating in computer sciences and information were women. Uh, as personal computers found their way into households in the 80s, computers became something that sons did with their fathers. So as a result, during the 80s, some students began arriving to college classes with programming experience, and these students were mostly men. So you both started out in non-IT majors. What do you think kept you from an IT major? Uh, well, I don't knit, so maybe that might have something to do with it based on the article. Um, you know, I, I think uh, it's been a few years since I graduated. It was a pretty uh, traditional. I was the person who could write well, um, so leaned more towards the liberal arts track. I uh, was certainly encouraged by teachers and, you know, even home support to kind of you know, move toward that reading and writing. Um, I did well in AP History and AP Lit, so that, I think, led me to a liberal arts degree, um, which I think, honestly, proved to be incredibly uh, helpful in the IT arena because I learned great analytical skills, and I learned great problem-solving skills, and really 
that is what IT is, is analyzing data and figuring out how to solve problems. So I did not graduate with a degree in IT, but I think I had a very strong educational foundation that's helped me be successful. And um, almost ditto on that. Um, uh, same um, sort of background. Uh, I had strength in um, my my major in college was English. I had strength and and love of reading and writing, and I like um, communicating. And even communicating is a uh, there's a lot of um, analytical requirement to pulling together a communication uh, around a topic. Um, I. I loved math as well in high school um, and and kind of got my fill of that in high school. And so when I moved into college, my focus was more on the, the reading and writing side. Um, and I don't know that at my liberal arts college there was, I'm sure there was a CS option, but it was sort of buried in a building somewhere off in the corner. Um, so it it didn't really ever even occur to me that you could major in IT. Um, I think all the colleges that I looked at were liberal arts colleges at that time. Uh, I'm very glad that um, my career and education has turned out the way it has, um, because like Michelle said, I think it, that liberal arts education for me built a foundation that has served me well for all of my career. So, Do you know how to knit? <laughs> I do not. Okay. Good. <laughs> but I like puzzles. So, you know, I think that was actually kind of the one of the connections for me into IT, uh, maybe between IT and more creative arts was puzzles. And that was what attracted me to IT in the end, I think, was um, solving a puzzle, specifically in development. And, and I did do development work for about 10 years. Uh, and that that puzzle solving um, is really fascinating to me. And I think that's um, something that came through in the article as well. I, uh, there's something that really rung true to me in this article, uh, really inspired me to think about my history, my background, and um, <clears throat> that sense of, of logic of um, solving a puzzle, I think is a large part of what attracted me to IT and a large part of what attracts a lot of people to IT. And and I see that in women as well as men. So um, it's just trying to maybe connect that love of puzzle solving to IT as a, a career and building that bridge between that love and that skill set into work. Right. And I, I actually think, you know, regardless of a major men, women, it's those problem solvers, those analytical thinkers, those folks who are, I think, naturally curious, who are really thriving in the IT industry because they're curious and they want to learn um, and they're anxious to figure out better ways to do things and to bring innovation and success and all those things, I think, that really, at the end of the day, make someone really, really good at their job, regardless of what they majored in. <laughs> So, Becky, how did you build that bridge that you mentioned? Well, it's a good point. I, I started off in technical writing, and that was kind of a bridge because it brought the communication together with being in the IT field, sort of on the, the outside of it, the edge of it. Um, and I did that for about three or four years, and then I realized I really wanted to build the things that I was writing about um, because that felt like it would be more satisfying to me. And I uh, started at a company that um, 
during my interview, I was uh, interviewing to for a technical writer position. During the interview, they said, hey, we have this development program, six-week course. We'll teach you how to code. And I said, sure, sign me up. Um, and so it was, you know, fortune at that point that they identified uh, that they had that program, that they identified me uh, to put me in it. Um, so I, I feel like there was some luck and, you know, some fortune, uh, well, luck and fortune, same thing. Okay. There was, <laughs> there was, there was some luck involved in, um, being in the right place at the right time kind of thing. So Michelle, you mentioned that the, uh, people who you think are the just interested in learning and solving problems are the ones that can thrive in I IT fields. Um, so it has been theorized that the male brain is more likely to be systemizing, why the female brain is more likely to be empathizing. But if the difference were based on biology, you'd expect the rates of women in IT to be the same in other countries as it is here, which you know, right now, college grads, it's around 17%. However, in India, for example, about 40% of the students studying in uh, computer science and related fields are women. And in Malaysia, it's about 50%. So what do you think about the stereotypes that say women or men are better suited to certain types of work and what can we do about those? Um, well, I think, you know, obviously stereotyping is definitely always a risk and there are certainly exceptions to every rule. Um, so I do usually try to avoid kind of broad categorizations, but, I, you know, I do think if we're honest, probably men sometimes are more systematic and women tend to be more uh, empathetic. Um, but I don't necessarily agree that someone who is uh, systematic makes them better in the IT field and someone who is empathetic makes them worse. I think really the optimal combination is, you know, creating a team that has people who think differently, but share the same values. And I think there's a you know, there's a lot of uh, perception that, you know, being a developer, being a database engineer is a is a solitary, um, solitary job. You know, even having a conversation with my own kids about, oh, gosh, I don't want to just sit in a cube all day and not talk to people. And I think, you know, really, really good developers are people that are uh, have great communication skills. They have the ability to understand. They have the ability to problem solve, as I said, and that, you know, you really need at the end of the day to create a team with system thinkers and folks who are empathetic and problem solvers who are creative. And, you know, life is a team sport. Work is a team sport. Developing is a team sport. And it, it takes all sorts to be successful. Adam and Yemi actually talked about that a little bit in a previous episode on how collaborative it really is, and you're not just off in a box by yourself. They were all on the same And I was going to say something again, ditto, um, where, yeah, I think it's, uh, whether it's men or women, everybody comes at their work a different way, and so maybe it's X percent of women are more empathizing and Y percent of men are, but what, empathizing actually um, creates uh, employees that provide certain values to your team, and those are important values. So, um, yeah, I think it's whether or not that stereotyping is bears out in the facts doesn't matter so much in that we need to change what we value in people when we bring them into the teams. Um, 
I value that um, connection that people make because it is a team, as Michelle was saying. Um, we work in teams, and you need to be able to work with the person next to you or the person across from you in order to create the solution that we are creating in the end. Uh, and so we need the people who are able to create connections with each other. Um, I think one of the things that I always reflect on in my liberal arts education that I learned was making connections between things. Like I would be in a history class and talking about something and later in an English class and talking about something. And I, it, I would make a connection between the two ideas. And I realized that was a really important thing to be able to do. And it's a little abstract, um, but it plays out in very real ways, I think, in the workplace, being able to make connections between, oh, this function's doing this. Maybe this function needs to do it as well. Or maybe there's some relationship between these two functions that we need to um, learn from the other. Uh, so I think that sort of, um, I mean, I think there's an empathizing um, component to that kind of thinking where you are thinking outside of the one that you're thinking outside of a box. You're thinking outside of one train. I'm working on this function, but you're thinking holistically. You're thinking about how you fit in with the larger picture. And I think that's a very strong skill to have on a development team. So what do you think is could be keeping women away from some of these majors, moving into some of these fields? Um, Carnegie Mellon is a really great example of a university that has been able to be very successful at attracting women into computer science um, by making a variety of different changes. They were able to go from 7% women in their computer science program to over 48%. And there's a few other examples as well. So clearly, it's possible to attract women. What do you think organizations need to do and to attract them and just as importantly to, to keep them there? So I, I think that that idea of collaboration and groups um, connecting each other, um, connecting people while they are learning a new skill or while they are implementing it, I think that's important. It sounds like... Um, from the article that I read about the Carnegie Mellon success is that was one of the ways that they did it is by um, reinforcing that sense of collaboration of, um, of a social group. And that if that is something that for some people, again, whether they be women or men, but maybe it's more women that for them that that is um, an integral part of their experience to have a social group or a collaboration, then then building that capability is an important way of getting women involved and retaining them as employees and as developers. Yeah, I think we, uh, we the, the Carnegie Mellon example is really, it was an interesting thing. And I, I think at Dev, look, we're absolutely focused on attracting and retaining top talent. And in the Washington, D.C. area today, I always say there's a, you know, there's a, there's negative unemployment in good developers because, you know, sometimes good developers are working on two projects at the same time, right? So it's just really hard to find good people. And once you find them, when you want to keep them. And 
I think we've kind of recognized that, you know, in addition to providing a great work environment, we also want to create, you know, kind of smaller communities of interest um, to create that social connection, that work connection. And, you know, certainly our women in technology group, which we started last year and is really uh, kind of taking off this year, does provide an opportunity for folks across the company to come together and not only learn from each other, but also, you know, kind of share strategies, share stories, and just kind of build connections beyond just an immediate project team. Um, So I think that definitely building communities within an organization, some focused on women, helps. I think also one of the uh, groups that we're looking to work with, um, with our women in technology group, is uh, a nonprofit that works to engage girls in the schools at young age and get them engaged and interested in uh, development and coding tasks. Um, that studies have shown that that's where the girls start to become less interested, third, fourth, fifth grade. And so we need to be thinking ahead. I mean, it's, it's thinking pretty far ahead, but I think um, that's that's part of what we can do is we can help support Um, elementary school student programs and middle school and high school uh, to work with girls in those programs and show um, where a career in development technology could lead and uh, show them how enjoyable we find it and how fulfilling it is and see that as a potential vision for themselves. And how women, how well women do in this environment. Which I think is another misconception. You're right. I think that's really important. Um, and I think it's great when we can show up in, in a conference room and I look around and I see half the room or more than half filled with women. Um, and it's, it's showing everybody in that room, especially maybe folks that are early on or maybe thinking about career shifts, that, um, that there is uh, strength in that. So you mentioned working with some of these younger girls. Do you think now that, you know, these kids, they have iPhones, they have tablets, they have like eight-year-olds have computers. Um, It's not a boy thing like the Commodore 64 might have been. Do you think that is going to kind of have a new wave of women into IT? Do you think they'll be maybe less intimidated by thinking it's a boy thing? Or do you think that you said around third or fourth grade is when the interest starts to win? I think unless there's very specific and focused effort on making uh, that connection between this is technology and this is what technology in the workplace looks like, then we will still continue not to have um, girls feeding into that um, pipeline. Because I don't think, I think the the way those devices are used is social. There's a still kind of a disconnect, I think, between... Or not a disconnect, but there's not a tight connection between the thing that you do on your screen on uh, social media and then how you build it to make it work. I don't know. I think there's also I do think there's an uh, there is a more uh, mainstream acceptance of computer programming and IT, and I think it's definitely well known. I think. You know, when we were in school and, and you mentioned, you know, the computer lab was buried in some basement somewhere, I, you know, I do think we've emerged from that. I mean, I, you know, I have a, 
a son who feels very strongly that taking a computer science class should count as his foreign language requirement. Um, and I actually think he's right. I mean, I think he absolutely is true that everybody should, you know, at least if you're going to take computer science, it, you know, it kind of should be recognized along with, you know, some would argue maybe it's even more valuable than learning how to take, you know, French one, which maybe you're not going to use, but, you know, you have to take it. So. I definitely think it's becoming more mainstream. My brother was going to try that, too. Oh, yes. <laughs> Did it work? I don't know what happened. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure. So there's a lot more opportunities for everyone now to get into IT, uh, the variety of boot camps, online classes. You don't have to go to college or have a tech-savvy parent to get into it. So how do you think this will help shape the future of women in IT and also diversity in IT? You know, I think uh, I think it's um, I think the software development process is becoming uh, certainly more and more available in kind of different educational environments, different training opportunities. I think there's becoming a big focus on you know kind of data and analytics, and now we have all this technology that's producing lots of things, lots of data for one, what, you know, what do you do with that data? So um, I do kind of think that's probably evolving into the next, uh, maybe a little bit tougher field to get into um, and hoping that opportunities are available for everyone. And, you know, I do think going back to that, you know, kind of that comment in the article about women being more empathetic. And I, I do think there is uh, more empathy needed when you're thinking about things like analyzing data and what does this really mean? It's it's often, you know, we have all this data, but what does it really mean to a, to a person and to a group of people or to a society, right? So I do think there's a broader tolerance for a more empathetic way of thinking about those types of things. I think that's a great point. Like as you um, kind of pull up from the ones and zeros that, that the women in the 1950s and 60s were dealing with, um, and we've come up to later generation coding languages, they um, allow us to get away from the nitty gritty of putting the ones and zeros in the right place and actually um, focus more on what does this mean and how does it work in the environment? Um, so it's sort of that higher level analytical thinking. And I think that um, that attracts and is interesting to a certain kind of person or with a certain kind of skill set, again, be it woman or man. Um, and so I think that that opportunity there is there for um, very interesting careers that allow you to utilize those skills. I think the coding school um, phenomenon, or uh, I don't know what we call it, but uh, I think the coding schools are a uh, very interesting way that the marketplace has um, identified a need, and it really is a need, to um, train folks in a technical, in a hands-on technical skill. So maybe um, in, you know, in college, people got their liberal, liberal arts degree. They learned how to analyze. They learned how to think holistically. Uh, and now um, these coding schools are kind of like hands-on. Um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds um, like. No. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I'm not going to think of it. Um, but I think those are... Um, their practical application of, they provide practical 
needs hands-on skill sets that complement that liberal arts background. Um, and I think it's a great opportunity for women, and we've definitely seen some um, women that we've interviewed here at Dev Technology that have come out of those that type of a background uh, that have um, combining the two, the liberal arts background and the practical hands-on learning uh, is a um, gives them a real boost up when they start with us um, because they've got both kinds of skill sets working for them. So what advice do you have to women who are applying to colleges now or looking to make a career change? Oh, well, let's see. Just gone through one daughter applying to college. Um I mean, I think the reality is, I, I read something recently that said today's college students are going to have seven career changes. So not seven jobs, but seven career changes over the course of when they work, which is really kind of hard to think about right now. But I think it's very realistic, right? So, you know, kind of my advice to her, which I guess would be my advice to others is, you know, Get a college degree that's challenging yet practical, right? So I'm suggesting she take as many classes as she can that are different and broad and wide ranging. And if I'm really honest with myself, I have a degree in economics and government, but probably the best class I took in college was accounting. It's the class I use the most in today's world. And I just happened to take it because I had a slot on my schedule and thought, oh, this might be helpful down the road, right? So... I think you want to explore when you're in college, understand what works for you. But I think really today, people are graduating with degrees in how to think and how to analyze, not so much with so many hard skills um, that equips them for being able to do those seven career changes in the future. And I would say for folks that are looking maybe to change or maybe they've been out of school for a little while and they're now thinking, oh, I want to move into IT, I think that um, just trying it. There's a lot of ways to try it now. There's so many um, things available online. There's There are a lot of things to learn from. There are groups to be part of. There are code challenges you can join. There are, you know, there are social connection groups, um, meetings you can go to. And I think just try it and see if you like it, um, find other people that like it and see why they like it. Reach out to people that could potentially be informal mentors. Um, uh, I just think there's a, a lot of ways to get into it with a little bit of time, maybe after your day job, if you still need to keep your day job, as many people would. Um, so, but just uh, try it and see how you like it. So what advice do you both have to both men and women to encourage women in IT? And why should we care about it? Why does it matter if women are in IT? It matters. Um, it matters because the more diverse your um, marketplace of ideas is, the better your product will be in the end. And you get diversity from a lot of different types of backgrounds. And um, if you don't encourage more women to become part of uh, the IT world, 
then you'll be missing out on 40, 50, 60 percent of, okay, 40 uh, percent of the um, potential ideas that are out there and um, the backgrounds that they come from. So what about, what can people do individually to support? Like, it's important to reach out. You see another woman, maybe they're struggling, like, through mentorship, or um, how important are those types of things for attracting and keeping women in the field? Well, I think they're important for anybody. I mean, I, I you know, I certainly think nirvana, right, is, is establishing and maintaining a, a workplace where everybody thrives, right? So, you know, whether it be a woman or a man, someone struggling, you know, it's incumbent upon all of us to try to figure out what we can do to help. Um, for women specifically, I say, leave the stereotypes at home, right? So the number of times I have been in a group session and someone has said to me, oh, you should write on the whiteboard because you're a woman and you have good handwriting. I have the worst handwriting of anyone. I should never write on a whiteboard and I should probably never write on a flip chart. I've worked very hard to have good handwriting, but the assumption is I'm the woman in the group, so I should do the right. What it really means is I'm going to do the report out to the team. <laughs> That's what that really means. Mm -hmm. So leave the stereotypes at home. <laughs> yeah, I think the mentor program that we have at dev is has been a great boon for folks um men and women um as well as um maybe even talking with our direct managers um to ensure that when they're having their one-on-ones with um, their employees again men or women that they're looking for um areas of concern where maybe there's some place that we can jump in and find another resource to help that person ensure that they are getting what they need, um, getting the support they need from whatever the many communities that we have here at DEV. Um, we have our teams, we have our programs, we have our, our you know, groups um, like the... Um, like the rising devies, you know, uh, a wide variety of ways that we um, provide support um, to our employees. And I think working with our managers to look for those opportunities to help our people uh, will help in the end. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Becky. I think that was a great conversation for today. And thank you for listening. It was fun. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Once again, that episode had been previously recorded last year for Women's History Month, but I would like to thank Becky Crane and Michelle Shoreman for doing such an excellent job with that episode. Thanks, and we'll see you all next time.